Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Sandy Almendares, Content Director. Hi, I'm Sandy, and welcome to a Healthy Insider podcast. On the phone, I have Aaron Callahan, who is the director of the Climate Collaborative. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Sandy. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Aaron will be speaking at Supply Side East at the presentation called Integrating Climate Action into Your Business, how the health and nutrition industry is coming together to tackle sustainable supply chains. And in this podcast, we are going to preview a bit of her presentation. So as director of the Climate Collaborative, Erin is responsible for management and execution of the collaborative's work, including all of its programming, communications, and outreach. She previously managed corporate engagement for CDP, which is a global disclosure system for companies, cities, states, and regions to manage their environmental impacts. She's also worked in public relations and international development. So Erin, my first question is, why is it important for supplement brands to consider the climate when they are formulating their products? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that where I would start with that question is really that every company should be considering climate, uh, especially consumer-facing companies. And there are a number of reasons for that, but just to kind of tease out a few at the highest level. One, consumers care more than ever. In fact, 70% of consumers are willing to pay more for products that are um, produced sustainably. And they're taking this into account when they make purchasing decisions. And when you look at younger generations, that only becomes more true. So what we can tell on the consumer side is that we have an increasingly aware customer base who want to be buying from companies that are sustainably sourcing their products or producing them in sustainable ways that have um, a minimal impact on the environment. And they're thinking about this actively. And so I think it's clear that this is the way that business is going to be trending. And those that take action now are going to be ahead of the curve. And there's a real competitive advantage to that. Um, And so I always like to point to that. I mean, first of all, it isn't just about Um, you know, improving the planet. We all want to do that, I think, at a core level, but this also is a business decision. Um, So I always like to point to that. Um, And then secondly, when you look at the impacts um, of any company that has an agricultural supply chain, but when you're looking at the supplement industry, the herb industry, um, these all have an agricultural footprint. And this has been a year when we've seen so clearly Um, the extent to which agriculture can both contribute um, to the climate problem and be a solution to it. Um, It's got this really unique place as both a a cause and a solution um, if we just start to shift our practices. And supplements companies can really be at the forefront of that. And you see that through companies like Megafood and Gaia. And we work with a number of these companies that are really trying to change the way that they're sourcing their products um, to to improve the planet. Um, So those are just a few things I would point to. I think that, you know, We've seen changing weather weather patterns this year, and I would I would challenge any company to be able to say that their business has been no way affected um, by the hurricanes, the wildfires, um, distribution being affected by extreme weather patterns this winter. Um, I, I think we've all um, we've all seen that, and in some cases, the companies we work with have you know even had their homes burned down or um, you know their communities put at risk. So it's more present and harder to ignore than ever before. Um, I'm really excited. I I was at Supply Side West this year for the first time. 
And I was really excited to see that this part of the industry is taking up these issues in such a serious way. Um, I talked to so many companies who are um, getting invested in regenerative agriculture and looking for ways to reduce their packaging and, uh, you know, getting involved and really having really open, transparent relationships with their suppliers. So I think there's also just a lot of interest and this is an exciting trend to see in the industry. This is Duffy Hayes, assistant editor here with a quick interruption to remind you that Supply Side East is coming up June 23rd and 24th in Secaucus, New Jersey. Go to SupplySideEast.com for more information. Now, back to our podcast. So, of course, throughout the supply chain, as you just mentioned, there's brands need to consider the climate. But uh, you also mentioned packaging, which from the the consumer standpoint is one of those most um, noticeable parts of where, where companies can measure up or, or fall short of their desires. So just focus on packaging for a moment. How can changing packaging from plastic to more sustainable options help brand improve their business and improve the planet? Yeah, gosh, packaging is the single biggest challenge area for most of the companies we work with. We do a survey each year to ask companies where they're struggling. And packaging is always the biggest area of struggle. And it's because it's such a complex issue. And, you know, consumers are so awakened to this part of the overall kind of climate approach that businesses are taking. Um, It's just the most visible visible impact. It's the most visible impact that um, companies can have in terms of you have to pick this package up at the store and you open it and you use it every day and companies can see the footprint in real time. And so even if it's not always the biggest uh, contributor to companies' emissions, it's the most visible. And so we see a lot of companies looking toward alternative packaging. And there's a number of different ways you can approach it. Um, You know, because packaging is such a complex issue and you're always having to balance shelf life, design, making it attractive to consumers, holding the product um, and kind of the quantities needed um, with, uh, you know, the material, the toxicity level, the sustainability, there's just a lot to balance. And so we work with companies on a couple of different ways of tackling packaging. And a lot of it does have to look at, you know, what happens if you switch to glass packaging? How does that affect your transportation footprint? So when you have a conversation about packaging, it's always a conversation about trade-offs and getting toward the best product you can across those trade-offs. A few things we see, um, companies lightweighting, Um, ensuring that they are sourcing, um, you know, plastics that are recycled and paper products that are recycled. So they're using products that are already um, recycled or sustainably sourced, or they're switching to a new product. Like we work with one company, Grove Collaborative, who has a line of paper towels that they've switched to. um, Instead of using paper, they're using eucalyptus and bamboo and really renewable fibers. So sometimes it's saying, can we switch to something that's not in danger and is in, as a highly renewable resource? Um, you know, in other cases, we work really closely with OSC Squared here in the Bay Area, and they work with a set of companies on flexible compostable packaging. So can we w- work toward creating a compostable packaging infrastructure? Um, and that infrastructure question is really key on compostable packaging because most of the U.S. still doesn't have access to commercial composting. So Um, You know, there's a lot that companies can do. I would say that um, companies generally take the route of conducting a packaging life cycle assessment, um, which means looking at the entire landscape of emissions relative to packaging from creation of the packaging down to end of use and disposal. What does the consumer do with it at home? 
and seeing where along that chain their emissions are most concentrated and what they can do to minimize it. And like I said, sometimes that's just lightweighting the plastic they use. Sometimes it's switching to post-consumer recycled materials. Sometimes it's switching to glass or other packaging entirely. Um, so that's one approach. And the other approach I would say is that companies are really starting to look toward um, plant-based packaging, compostable packaging, and packaging that isn't fossil fuel-based in the first place. So they're not using um, plastic or they're moving away from that. Um, and then finally, other companies are looking toward reusable packaging. So um, situations like, you know, Strauss Milk out here in the Bay Area has done where they are, um, they sell their milk in bottles that can be returned to store um, for a credit. Uh, so there's a lot of different approaches companies are taking. And I would say there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach <laughs> um, with packaging, um, but it's a journey that so many companies are, are on and wanting to share and learn from each other, which is promising to see. Great. So let's look at the other end of the supply chain. Where can a supplement brand start if it wants to start exploring ingredients and suppliers that follow regenerative agriculture practices? Yes. Well, I would say they should start by joining our Rooted community, which is a virtual working group that we have on regenerative agriculture. You know, this landscape has become so full and crowded within such a short span of time. It's been wild and heartening to see how quickly regenerative agriculture has caught fire and become an interesting topic for companies in the industry. Even since I joined the Climate Collaborative two and a half years ago, um, there are so many companies working on this. There's a lot of um, companies doing their own thing in really exciting ways, including I mentioned Gaia and Megafood before. They both have really exciting practices that they want to be talking to companies about. Um, but then across the industry, Dr. Bronner, Stonyfield, um, you have a lot of companies who are trying to develop open source tools. They're trying to figure out um, solutions to the problems that they see in implementing and scaling regenerative practices. And they're figuring out new models that they actively are trying to get other companies to learn for, which, from, which is really exciting. Um, but through our regenerative agriculture working group, um, we have a number of open source resources that can help companies who are just getting started. Um, and a couple of those, you know, I, when I see companies starting to look at regenerative ag practices, there are a few things that kind of they generally want to sort through as they get started on that path. One is, what are, what are the quantification standards that are available? Um, and we've done a few trainings on those. And who are the different groups you can work with? Once you decide you want to start quantifying how much carbon you're sequestering in the soil of your supply chain. So that's one thing. Two is, how do we build a consumer base for this? What are those stories? And how do we build a demand market for regeneratively grown products? And we're also trying to work on that. But we've seen great pilots from... General Mills and Annie's through their Soil Matters campaign. Um, Dr. Bronner's has done their Heal Earth campaign. So, and then a lot of retailers and grocers across the U.S. also have been trying to build a demand among consumers for these products. Um, and then there's farmers incentives programs and pilot training programs and this kind of crucial gap that we see between brand level buy-in and how we start to affect change at the farm level. And this is an area we're really going to be digging into this year. Um, I would say for any company who wants to get started down the path, try and get on a farm where they're using regenerative practices and try to get your CEO on a farm. Um, seeing these practices at the farm level um, it can do a lot towards cementing the value of them in your own head, kind of seeing their effectiveness. I was at a farmer training visit in May, and it was a very emotional experience for the ranchers and the financiers who were there. Um, trying to have conversations around how we 
build a broader set of regenerative practices across the U.S. But seeing the way that these farmers on, this is a Pisces Ranch um, in California, seeing how they've been able to bring back native grasses and create bird sanctuaries and just create this huge biodiversity on the farm that was just gorgeous to see. So I would say get on a farm um, and then come to our sessions to hear about some of the ways that companies are piloting um, farmer trainings. And then lastly is financing and how do we finance these transitions? And so we're trying to answer all of those questions, but um, I think just generally it can be daunting to, to get started on and, and start talking to other brands. Don't be afraid of that. Try to get on a farm um, and then come watch. We just did a, a couple of weeks ago, we just did a webinar on kind of mapping the regenerative landscape. There are increasingly um, a wide number of certification standards out there. Um, and don't be daunted by that. Go watch our webinar on the different, a few of the different certification standards. Um, kind of be curious about that to see which one is going gonna, is gonna to fit the work that you're trying to do best um, and, and go from there. So you just mentioned several resources that the Climate Collaborative offers, but if we could take a step back and just uh, give an overview of the Climate Collaborative and how brands can get involved. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Well, we launched almost three years ago. We launched at Climate Day 2017. I can't believe we're already coming up on our third year, but we really came about because there was a big gap in the industry wherein there were a lot of companies who wanted to be doing more to address waste and packaging and sourcing, uh, transportation, and kind of other key aspects of their emissions. And they wanted to be doing something on climate and understood that was important but there was no convening place in the industry for them to do so. And so what we had was companies kind of reinventing the wheel and operating in silos and no real way to share information and share knowledge in a systematic way. And so we launched to try and address that. We created this roadmap of nine commitment areas that represent what the key emissions drivers are for most companies who have a food or agricultural supply chain. So we're looking at, you know, regenerative agriculture, deforestation, packaging, renewable energy, energy efficiency, policy. Um, and what we do is we invite companies to, it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure. We invite companies to make one commitment, nine commitments, anything in between. And it's kind of setting a stake in the ground saying, hey, we're taking this seriously. These are our focus areas. We want the rest of the industry to know. And we also want to be part of this growing industry movement on climate. Um, and then once they make those commitments, they then get access to our resources, events, um, the webinars and um, communities of practice that I mentioned, like our rooted community on regenerative agriculture. Um, and, and then it's off to the races. Um, a couple of other things worth mentioning. Um, it's free to join, which we're really lucky um, to be able to do that. It's really because this is an industry-led project and that when we started, it was with the backing and direct support of Dr. Bronner's and Stonyfield and Lotus Foods and Rebel and, you know, um, about 30 other brands at the time, what's now become about 50 brands who say, you know, we want to help support this. National Clock Grocers and Infra were also among our first supporters saying, and we're willing to fund it. We want to support the industry and in moving forward. So that enables us to keep it free for every company to join. And then the second thing is that we're very non-prescriptive and focused on inclusivity. So we want any company to be able to come to the table and learn and get on a path toward constant and continuous improvement, regardless of where they start. So the last thing we want, I, there can be this tendency with climate for the complexity to scare people away from getting started down the path. 
And there's a real sense in the industry of we don't have time for that. And we don't have time to not work together. Um, the problems we face are too urgent. Um, they're becoming more and more real each year within the supply chains of so many of the companies that we're working with. And so we don't have time to not work together and maintain a like rigorous approach um, that's really inclusive. And so that's what we do. Um, we want every company to be able to come to the table and learn from each other um, and, and kind of do what they need to do to get toward a better version of practices that is more sustainable, that reduces their footprint. Um, and that's, that's the real goal that we have. And it's, I mean, it's been incredible to see um, the progress that we've made. You know, we, we launched three years ago, like I said, and um, this has been our busiest year yet. Uh, something has happened this year where companies just understand and are awake to climate is a bigger issue. And maybe it's the election coming up and how high up on the agenda climate is. It's been a horrible summer with wildfires in Australia now. Um, you know, earlier we saw the Amazon on fire. It's just been very sad and alarming for, I think, a lot. Of, it's been a big wake-up call of the year. And so I think that, um, you know, with all of that, with the youth strikes on climate, a lot of us, our hearts are touched and are, we're worried. And so um, it's been incredible to see, you know, on our website now, um, depending on when this goes live, on our website now, you'll see around 470 companies committed. What I can say is that, you know, we wanted to bring in over 500 by Climate Day. We wanted to do a big announcement on Climate Day um, that we'd reached 500 companies. And so we sent a call out to companies. If you haven't committed yet, step up and make a public commitment. And what gives me hope is that we thought we'd maybe have a dozen companies come in and we had over 80. <laughs> and so, I, you know, what this makes clear is that the industry is taking up these issues like never before. And climate can be an easy thing to lose hope about. And it is very heartening to see the industry so committed to working together. And I think that includes the supplements part of the industry. You know, we were at supply side last December um, and did a follow-up webinar and the participation and the interest was huge. So I'm, I'm really hopeful on that front. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I mean, it's clear you can, we can see the passion that you have behind this. And it's really heartening to hear that so many brands are coming together and tackling sustainable supply chains and their packaging and really trying to make a difference because we are in a position to make a difference. So um, I'm really glad that you're organizing and getting us all together and moving in the right direction. So thank you for that. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation at Supply Side East. Absolutely. So again, Supply Side East in Secaucus, New Jersey, Aaron will be speaking on integrating climate action into your business. Thanks again, Aaron. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. Subscribe now to never miss an episode.